Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. Stop and think about your vehicle for a moment. It comes with a manual with suggested times for service. For example, brake pads need to be replaced after a certain amount of miles, let us say 20,000 miles. Brake pads have been studied. They wear out at a predictable rate. It's good to replace them after 20,000 miles in order to avoid a potentially catastrophic accident. Now what about the human body? It has been studied and certain parts wear out at a predictable rate. So why don't we go into the clinic for maintenance every few years? Why does the modern medical establishment essentially wait until the parts wear out and there is a catastrophic failure before trying to do much about it? Tonight's guest, Avi Roy wonders the same thing and also shares some entertaining stories about his journey into the world of life extension. Listen in. And on this edition of Longevity Now, I would like to welcome to the program Avi Roy. Thank you, Justin. You are welcome. Glad to have you here on the podcast. I would want to first start out with, like usual, a little introduction of yourself, a little background. How did you become interested in life extension research? Right. Well, actually, I want to thank you for inviting me to speak to your listeners. And I will absolutely tell you about my journey coming to the point where I am now. I think it was about almost exactly 10 years ago that I came across a magazine, the Technology Review magazine, in a laundromat in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. That's where I was doing my um, undergrad. And on the cover of the magazine was this guy that looked like the prototypical image of Jesus. It happened to be Aubrey de Grey. I think we all kind of know this famous cover of Aubrey de Grey. And and so that kind of piqued my curiosity as to what is this new age guru touting about aging. As I was waiting for my clothes to dry, I read through the article. Then I have to say that public library resource uh, was very useful. I used to work at the public library, the Oklahoma Public Library then. So that came in very handy. I I had background in in biomedical science and computer science, but I didn't actually ever think about it from the perspective that Aubrey was talking about, which is that it is a fixable machine, uh, that we can think of it from a perspective of a old car or or a new car or a car basically that you drive every day. That you could go about it, and you could you could try to tweak it, you could try to fix it, and you could you can make it better. So that was a game changer. Just that little incentive was a game changer right there. And it is to me, what is fantastically surprising is how big a game changer it is for many people to just make them realize that one little point that it isn't inevitable that you get old, you decline, and then you die. It doesn't have to be that way. And speaking of the damage theory of aging and that, yes, maybe things could be repaired, tell me the story about when you arrived at Oxford and (laughs) you showed uh, one of the professors there, I believe, the book, uh, Ending Aging. Uh, What's that uh, fun little story? Yeah, the professor shall remain unnamed because he's still uh, (laughs) very prominent and, and, and so... From that laundromat, the journey took me back to graduate school and brought me here to England along with my partner to to get more basic understanding. And my aim was to impact aging research through learning more about it and through science, doing research and being a researcher myself. And Aubrey's book, 
I really liked it and I enjoyed it. And I wanted to get what we call in science peer review about it. So who better to give it to than my supervisor? And, uh, you know, I showed it to him and he said, sure, I'll take a look at it and I'll get back to you. And I think it was pretty much 24 hours later that he brought the book back and put it on the uh, what we call a you know, bench space in, in our lab. And uh, he said, uh, what? utter rubbish <laughs> or, or some such criticism. I, I can't exactly, it was, it was seven years ago. But I have to say that about six years later or so, I, I think our, uh, your listeners may have heard about a debate that uh, I organized with Aubrey at Oxford. Just type in Aubrey Oxford debate, uh, Aubrey aging debate Oxford or something like that. One of the first ones that actually has significant footage in the immortalist documentary as well. Uh, you can see him in, in the front couple of rows, the same supervisor. He has been instrumental in supporting my research because he has come around. I, I would say he has not just come around to Aubrey's book, but the whole scientific endeavor about tackling this. He still has reservations about certain things in the book, but oh my God, the last eight years have been amazing. He is, wow. he is, uh, he's fully supportive. He's fully backing this. And I, I would say that if many labs would have proper government funding, because you, I mean, our listeners and you probably know that the largest amount of scientific funding in UK, in US, in Canada comes from the government. If there was uh, a significant chunk going towards aging, I think he would pretty much make all the students work on this because he's, <laughs> okay. pretty, he's pretty well sold on this. Wow, what a turnaround. Well, let me ask you then, what is the focus of your current PhD research? So I have I have finished all my uh, PhD uh, lab work, uh, or as one would say. So it's pretty much uh, writing up my thesis and finishing up. And now I'm full time involved with the what we'll talk about uh, is my new endeavors, which is the Biogerontology Research Foundation. But my PhD research involved the general aspect or the broad picture was looking at what happens during aging in skin, and I like many biomedical scientists, didn't want to work on other organisms. I wanted to go and I wanted to work directly on humans. And as you can think, as you can imagine, most of the experiments cannot be done on humans. The, the easiest thing to access in humans is skin. It's the largest organ, and we you know, flake off a lot of it pretty much throughout the day. And also during surgeries in hospitals, little bits of skin are available. I know it sounds pretty gross, but that's how it is. So my research was looking at old skin, and looking at young skin, and then trying to see how we can convert old skin into young skin. I was specifically originally going to look at the mitochondria and see how that impacts, but it turns out that your ideas as you start your PhD, the big picture goals that you have, <laughs> you never end up you know, fulfilling the research in that one area. You kind of zoom out and find another area and so my area then became trying to determine if we can identify what makes old skin old. So instead of trying to fix old skin back to becoming young skin completely, the bigger problem was, can we separate them out? Can we find out what makes old skin old? In other words, it would be called biomarkers of aging. Sure. Right. Uh, did you find any uh, essential biomarkers? Or are we going to have to wait until you're published? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, if I were going to continue my career in uh, fundamental research, where 
I would publish a bunch of papers in order to get my career advanced, I would say more research is needed. But sure. since I'm not going to do that, I'm going to be 100% honest, you don't really need it. You don't properly need biomarkers of aging if you have what Aubrey's book or what we are trying to develop, which is robust rejuvenation therapies. The reason why I say that is because we all age. All you need to know is how old is Justin or how old is Avi. That is a good enough biomarker to give us treatment. The, the problem today is that we need to know nitty gritty biomarkers like VO2 max, which is your lung capacity or your glucose uh, metabolism rate, your insulin sensitivity or all of these things. It's because we don't have broad spectrum rejuvenation therapies. We have very specific medicines for very specific purposes and they have side effects. And in order to mitigate those side effects, in order to reduce that, we then give those drugs to very specific set of people. In the future, the type of medicine that we imagine or the type of treatments that we imagine will be broad spectrum. It's, it's kind of like your Ford or your, your BMW, whatever car you drive. Everybody's Ford manual or everybody's BMW manual has a 15,000 mile or a 30,000 kilometer or whatever checkup, right? Right. And is standardized across the board. It doesn't matter if you're driving that BMW on the left-hand side of the road or the right-hand <laughs> side of the road in Germany or in India. It doesn't matter. You just open the manual. And it says 15,000 miles, or if you're in Europe, it says something in kilometers, 27,000 kilometers, and you take it in. And that's pretty much what, going forward, humans will be. Okay. Biomarkers are only needed, especially biomarkers of aging, are only needed because our treatments have side effects. So we have to be very careful who we give it to. And also, our treatments work for very small subsets. So I hope I'm not, I'm not uh, wasting the listener's time. Um, so that's that's, no, that's a good you know that's a good summary and a very in-depth summary at that. I noticed that you mentioned that you don't foresee yourself as being a lab scientist going forward, and you also mentioned the Biogerontology Research Foundation already. So that is your focus then going forward, the foundation. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that uh, I'm not I'm not being you know uh, egotistical when I say that oh yes I'm giving up lab science I'm a terrible lab scientist oh my <laughs> god like I I wish the day that uh, Ray Kurzweil and and his uh, folks and many other folks develop robots so that they could do all the wet lab experiments as we call them yeah I've heard that many times before <laughs> about uh, the lab work and uh, the rote uh, repetitive work and that we could certainly use some automation in the lab to really speed things up and. That makes me think Absolutely. Uh, with the Biomedical Research Foundation, is that something you would push as well? Infrastructure for doing lab work? Absolutely. So the Biogerontology Research Foundation is a UK-based charity. It's about seven years old now, and it's basically a think tank. And what it's trying to do is to do exactly that. It's, it's trying to think to the problem and try to basically make checklists as to how we tackle the bigger problem. So we all, you, myself, all our listeners... And most of the people who don't even recognize that this is a solvable problem yet want healthy, long life. How do we bring it to them within the next 10 to 20 years? And what we're trying to design is a checklist of what we do first, what we do second, what we do third, in order to make this dream a reality from multiple angles. So Aubrey's book talks about, and, and the Sense Research Foundation talks about the scientific approach of how we do things in lab so that one day... In the near future, these will become therapeutics. We are, of course, dealing with that, and we are collaborating 
with researchers that work with Sense Research Foundation and others to bring that to fruition. But alongside that, like you said, we're also talking about the infrastructure. In science, if you can't measure it, we don't know whether it worked or not. So the infrastructure, both research infrastructure and the infrastructure for allocating funding or receiving funding, we're working on that as well. And last but not the least, one of the most important things that we have recognized is letting people know is communication is the type of work that you are doing, which is so critically important to get the crowd motivated, not just through crowdfunding, but also through crowd engagement. So feedback and feed forward. We have seen the pitfalls of previous technologies, especially in Europe, previous scientific advancement that haven't sat right with the general public. And we want to engage people from the genesis of this project to make them understand what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do and always appreciate how we can do this better and faster and, you know, everything. So with the Biogerontology Research Foundation, it's kind of a, a broad approach uh, supporting science, but also supporting communication about life extension and rejuvenation. For people who might want to get on a similar path as you or contribute, what do you think are the most important steps? What advice would you give? So I must warn people, first off, if you type in Biogerontology Research Foundation or BGRF, Foundation or BGRF Charity UK, you will get to our site, which is currently being redesigned. The, the site is up and running and just fine. You just won't find all the information that we're going to put in very soon. So I have taken over or not taken over, but I have been recently appointed the president. And uh, that's not on there because I wanted to be up there once we launch our new site. To then answer your question directly, if somebody is interested in contributing or in, in working in this area, uh, there are so many ways to do it. Contact me personally. Contact, you know, Aubrey doesn't have that much time, but but uh, contact his team. Contact anyone. Contact yourself, Justin, I would say. We would put you in touch with the right researchers or the right group of people, depending on what you want to do. If you came to me, there are three projects that we are currently working on. One of them deals with writing about research and compiling research notes, which is what projects should we be doing first, second, third, those kind of things. So I would absolutely love to have people as interns or do an internship with us here at Oxford uh, in the UK. And they would be working on various projects depending on what kind of skill level and also what they would like to do. There are multiple ways of you know, helping. Fundraising is a massive, massive issue. Finding research grants is a huge issue that we would be working on. And of course, what kind of research we should be doing, uh, when and how and where. Those things are, are absolutely. And again, I want to emphasize a big thing that we would like to do collaboratively, of course, is to you know communicate with various groups of people all over the world. So if you are somebody who is, I don't know, sitting in Thailand right now and listening to this and, he, and you realize that traveling to Bay Area or Oxford is you know way far away, then help us with a group in your place, how we can communicate, how we can raise awareness in your place both research awareness and, you know, funding awareness. So any little bit can absolutely help. Sure. The first step is just uh, reaching out and getting in contact with like-minded people. Absolutely. Uh, uh, now, lastly, would you like to promote anything? Uh, I know you have your you know, PhD thesis coming out soon, but any other uh, type of media or uh, perhaps you'll be at a conference at some time coming up soon or maybe giving a speech somewhere? Right. Uh, thank you very much. So I would say go check out what's what's on BGRF right now, but keep an eye as well on just kind of have a little Google alert on, on BGRF. 
I would like to say find longevityreporter.org. That site is supposed to be the, the public contact for all longevity news and research that is coming out. We do a weekly newsletter, and we soon hope to do a lot more than that. It will also have a compendium of videos that we do. So I would say come join me on Facebook, on Twitter, and I'll keep you updated with everything that is happening if you want one-stop place. I'm Aging Roy. Just use the American spelling of Aging Roy anywhere in Google, and you will find me. Uh, A-G-I-N-G-R-O-Y. I'm sure Justin uh, can provide a link. Well, a lot of different options uh, then uh, for contacting you or following what you are doing with the BGRF. And I would like to thank you, Avi, for joining us on Longevity Now. Thank you very much, Justin. Once again, that is Aging Roy, if you want to follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Yet another advocate shaking up the world of academia and beyond. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.